0: This podcast is sponsored by Jiu Jitsu Academy Pro and the new beginner's course featuring Blue Belt 2.0 and a ton of extras to help you take that first step to fitness, confidence, and new friendships. Go to bluebeltcourse.com to learn more and discover who you are. Hey everyone, I'm here in the studio with Dr. Luke Pomerantz. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to it.
0: Uh, So for those that don't know, uh, Dr. Pomerantz and I have a long history. Uh, We started training together um, at Claudio Frances Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Santa Cruz, California. And when it was time for him to go to college, I was coincidentally going to college at the same time. So we went to UCSD uh, together and trained for many years at uh, the Harris Academy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy thinking about how long ago that stuff was, but hey.
0: Right. I put that, I posted that. uh, Our friend Brad Hirakawa sent me that photo that I posted on Instagram the other day, which was such a throwback. Oh, yeah you know i mean you were in in college what was the fraternity that you were in
1: <laughs> SAE sigma S-A-E. alpha epsilon yeah <laughs> yeah it's a frat boy yeah
0: <laughs> awesome awesome and then uh and there were some other people kevin jones was in that picture our uh, you know professor roy harris was in there mm-hmm. um we've been in this game for a long time yeah and um it,
1: it, it, we really have and you know I look back on it. It didn't seem weird at the time, but we were very early adopters getting into this world of, you know, jujitsu and mixed martial arts and watching the ultimate fighter and all that kind of stuff. No one was really doing it back then, but we we were,
0: (laughs) Oh man, we were, we were, and we were hungry. And it's amazing how uh, I'll talk to people, you know, like Brown Belt, the local academy here. And they'll say, yeah, I mean, you're really a pioneer. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not the pioneer. I mean, the the people, we look to the people that were really bringing it over to the US. And, um, but in a way we were looking from the current perspective, we we were.
1: Well, I mean, I I can't say I take a lot of credit. I was around guys like you who have kind of grabbed the baton from the the generation that learned from the Brazilians. And then you've grabbed the baton and taken it further. I've just been kind of floating around and been around and it's exciting.
0: (laughs) Oh, you've definitely been in the mix. So uh, for those of us that aren't, um, that may not have seen your YouTube channel or your background, just give us a brief bio.
1: Sure. Um, So uh, I've been doing jujitsu for a long time. There's certainly been lots of starts and stops and it wasn't the highest priority for me as, as you to, I was going to college and that was the goal to then go to medical school and, uh, went off to medical school and decided I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. And that involved a lot of training and long hours. And, uh, and now I've been in practice for, for seven years, um, outside of my training, but it was, it was 11 years after, after high school. Um, really before I got going. And, uh, so it's a long road. Um, actually it's 11 years after college that, that the training and all that kind of stuff,
0: man, those are two incredibly long roads that you have been able to successfully navigate.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's definitely long roads, definitely not for those who need immediate gratification, (laughs) Uh, But I actually see a lot of similarities between the the black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and getting a medical degree. Um,
0: Yeah, talk uh, about
1: that. Yeah. So, I mean, clearly it takes a lot of work and not everyone gets there. And it's certainly a a certain aptitude to get to that point. For me, it was just a matter of no matter how tired I was or how unmotivated at that moment I felt, I would just at least show up. Uh, My story is a story of just at least showing up. Uh, and just grinding away, and eventually things, you know, jump through the hoops, or or however you see it. Um, and then, you, you know, you get there, you get that medical degree, and you're now doctor, but you really don't know much. <laughs> uh, there's still so much more to learn. Um, and while you've been elevated to a certain level by whatever societal things there are, there's still so much to learn. And there's, there's a process that, you have to keep doing it. You have to keep learning more. You have to keep doing it or it doesn't matter if you have the degree or the belt, it, you know, it's, it's a continual learning experience.
0: Yeah. The, the idea of skills degrading, uh, you can take some time off, but, uh, if you don't stay in the mix, there is, you know, your, your, your timing is off. Your assessment is off.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, all of those things Um, and you know certainly as we get older in jujitsu you know the 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 muscles may not work the same way the injuries accumulate a little bit Um, and you know the same kind of thing in medicine as a surgeon you know the physicality of surgery your eyesight starts going your your fingers Mm. don't work quite the same way so there's you know a physicality to both things but at the same time if you put in the reps and you keep doing things and you keep practicing and you keep honing your skills you're going to at least maintain them, but the goal is to keep getting sharper and better.
0: That's a great point. I, I don't often think about the, the physicality of, of surgery, but I mean, to be on point, to be leading the room and, and to have to be in it. I'm not sure what the longest surgery uh, that you've been involved in is, but I mean, there's definitely mental and physical stamina.
1: Oh yeah. It, there, there's certainly, yes, mental and physical stamina for, you know, the longest surgeries I'll do as a hand surgeon, there, there's situations that come up where we have to say, put a finger on or multiple fingers on. And those surgeries can be quite long, you know, eight hours kind of oh thing. Um, oh, And, and there's with, even what? longer surgeries where you're doing these very complex reconstructions and teams are being involved. And, and yeah, you know, so, so by no means am I. uh, at the far end of like lengthened surgeries, but certain fields they're they're doing very long surgeries and routinely you know it's not very often that I'm having to do a replant it, one of the nice things about hand surgery is a lot of our surgeries are we could we can sit down and they're done pretty quickly and there's not a lot of blood and <laughs> and uh, yeah so it's it's nice in that regard
0: I'm sure it's extremely satisfying to have i mean Obviously we use our hands for everything and to be able to reinstill uh, that dexterity and that functionality in people. I mean, it's just, you're making a big difference in people's lives, um, in, in kind of the most immediate way.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's one of the things that brought me into orthopedic surgery, um, being kind of a jock and it's. It's cliche for, you know, within the medical world, the orthopedic surgeons are the guys who are the former athletes, the the jocks of of, Mm -hmm. uh, the medical world. And but I think it's a lot of us are so into our knowing how our bodies function and how we move and how important that is to us. We then want to be able to give that to our patients. And yeah, I mean, there are certain surgeries, a broken hip. um, You do your surgery and they can walk again. And it's almost immediate. And that is, you know, you, you know, taking someone who's stuck in bed and now they're walking hours later and it's an amazing feeling. And uh, I think that's why a lot of us go into orthopedic surgery is, is that feeling. And then within hands, yes, it's how we interact with the world uh, is, is our hands. And so uh, people definitely notice when their hands aren't right. And to be able to give some of that function back is, is incredibly rewarding.
0: Uh, let's keep going on the. I mean, we're going to talk about several different medical things in addition to you know your jujitsu history. But when it comes to the like your, you said like putting a finger back on, was that because it was degloved or or did, did, is it the bone? What's uh, what's the main? <laughs> what's kind of the high percentages cases that come sure, across here?
1: Humans are interesting in that they can find interesting ways to hurt themselves. I guess the most common ways that people are losing fingers are, is kind of like the table saw. Um, oh. And it's always the guy who's been a carpenter for 30 years and he just gets a little too comfortable, takes his eye off the blade for one moment and boom, you know, uh, that, that's a very common cause. But there are ring avulsions where people's wedding bands get caught on something and it takes the finger and um uh, if you can think of it, it's probably happened and I've probably <laughs> had to see it and deal with it. Uh, yeah.
0: Um, so, so a common thing I I'll see is, uh, you know, the guy's wearing a wedding ring while rolling. That's really dangerous. Uh, what is the actual, you know, level of threat for degloving wearing a, a wedding band?
1: Well, I would say that the, the forces you're probably going to see in jujitsu are, probably not going to be hard high enough to catch that ring and really take it. Um, okay. you know, it's, it's probably gonna be have to be someone's body weight that holds something. Mm. Um, and you know, the, the, mm. something is holding that ring really well and the body weights coming in the other direction, nothing else breaks, but the finger just goes. Uh, and that, that's probably not going to happen in jujitsu, but the ring can definitely catch on people and they scrape them and, and, you know, get caught in clothing and yeah, I don't recommend wearing a wedding band in, in, in training, um, and cause more, more issues than it's worth. Don't lose it though.
0: Sure. <laughs> noted, noted. Um, so <clears throat> I re- I remember seeing one of your early social media posts and it involved the avocado. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I that thought was... It was exceedingly practical because, <laughs> I mean, it's all about, you know, playing the percentages, right. And, and, you know, safety, kitchen safety, home safety. Um, and I, I think you see a lot of that. Could you, could you go into a little detail about?
1: Yeah. Um, so the, the avocado injury, it was inspired because I saw it for another you know, a repeated time within a short period of time. And it's like, all right, well, let's. Put something out there. It's actually probably one of my very first social media posts, and Mm -hmm. uh, the problem being people don't quite understand how to deep pit an avocado, and they kind of stab at it with, uh, with a knife, and the problem is if they miss the pit and it comes off to the side, and usually they've got their hand right underneath there, the knife goes into the hand, and as you can figure out that probably causes some injuries injuries. I see tendons cut nerves cut. And mm. so I, I put a little thing out there and, and, uh, people seem to like it, but it's not just avocados. Yeah, I see the, the frozen hamburger patties that, that is another right. one where people are stabbing with a knife, trying to, you know, get the patties yeah. to split apart.
0: Um, you know, people just forget that knives are sharp sometimes. No, no, no doubt. And I, I think that's like a public service announcement. Um, really, I, I thought it was exceedingly practical and, and actually apt to make a difference in people's lives. I should do it more now that you bring it up. (laughs) I, I, more, just those
1: very practical, you know, whether it's fireworks safety or.
0: Oh my God. (laughs) I'm so on board with you there. I just can't (laughs) believe. Um, yeah, it really makes me, uh, I mean, this 4th of July, I thought, Oh, my, my child will not play with fireworks if I can have anything to do with it. And it's a good, I'm idea. sure you've seen some heartbreaking, uh, 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 in San Diego County, fireworks are legal.
1: You know, that's a good question. I, it would, I don't think that like individuals anyway. can, individuals can put on a, a show. There are definitely shows throughout the area, uh, that are nice, but they're pretty accessible by just going across the border to mexico so there is quite a few fireworks around and there are definitely injuries every year that uh probably could have been avoided if people hadn't got you know a lot of it is just you know what you know the common sense not being as common as it should have been and right. you don't need to throw fireworks at each other and hold on oh to God. it a little too long you know, things oh. like that <laughs>
0: oh my god hey let's circle back to jujitsu and and what you know what how did you get started what did you think when you first were introduced to the art uh let's start there
1: sure so uh growing up i was very much into sports but i was also very small um i was the smallest eighth grader in all, well, eighth grade boy, I was the smallest eighth grade boy and smallest freshman boy. So I was tiny and I was really into sports and I had some athleticism. I could do okay, but everyone was getting way bigger than me. So I started going towards things with weight classes and that was wrestling. Mm -hmm. And one of my first coaches was Garth Taylor. And, uh, and he's like, Hey man, you know, I I got into this jujitsu thing. You should try it out. And so I, I gave it a look, tried it out, and the transition from wrestling to jiu-jitsu wasn't too big of a transition, the goals being slightly different and what you wear being slightly different, but it's it's grappling, it's wrestling, it's it was is it wasn't a big transition and it made sense to me. So that that's how I got into jujitsu. Um Garth Taylor, awesome. Uh Claudio Franza a- who amazing
0: like, instructor. Yeah. Yes.
1: We we were very fortunate to get the starts when we did, uh, with who we did, uh, Mm -hmm. as early, you know, it's, you know, the fact we were doing this in the the early mid or mid late nineties is, you know, it's wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And we were in with the people we were in with, uh, and you know, and and so I really liked jujitsu and, and, uh, then it was off to college and it took me a year or so to kind of settle in and figure out, but I'm like, I want to go back to jujitsu. And I think it was Roy Harris. He had a, uh, he he was teaching a once a week class at UC San Diego Mm -hmm. and um, like a little rec class. I'm like, all right, well, I'll jump in on that. And so I found Roy Harris, got lucky again with an amazing instructor Um, and kind of carried on through college with that, still studying and trying to get into medical school. But I would compete when I could and try to stay in shape and, and then uh, off to medical school and, and uh, Jiu Jitsu was still there. It was still in the background. Uh, I actually did compete in some mixed martial arts, a mixed martial arts fight uh, in, in, um, in my third year of medical school. Mm. Uh, I was fortunate to, um, one, stay in touch with people I had made friends with in San Diego. You know, yeah. Matt Stancil, or Jason Lambert, and those guys. So I'd stayed in touch with them and essentially they were like, Hey man, just get in shape. We'll put it together for you.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And uh, they had a a boxing gym in Albany, New York, which is where I was doing medical school. And it was kind of help keep keep kids off the streets. Um, city subsidized boxing gym. And I was the, mm. the white medical student showing up and I just kept showing up and eventually they're like, all right, we'll, we'll start showing you some stuff and kept showing up and, he started teaching me more, and that's how I kind of got a little bit, you know, some striking as opposed to just wrestling and jiu-jitsu and did an MMA fight. And uh, it went well, and, and uh, yeah, and then the, the path continues. Lots of starts and stops, but it was always kind of the background and something that was important to me.
0: Uh, we're, we're almost at you getting your black belt, but the, can you talk about that transition to MMA and that kind of the emotions you felt, I, I I think it's pretty. I mean, back in the day, BJJ and MMA were so closely aligned. Mm-hmm. The um, you know you go to King of the Cage show or whatever, our friends would be fighting, and there's like all these you know jujitsu luminaries in the with students in there if they're not in the cage themselves. Um, I th- I think that uh, you know those worlds have diverged a little bit. They still overlap. Mm-hmm. What, uh, I mean, how did you feel in the preparation and and the day of, um, yeah. So a lot of people imagine themselves in that position.
1: It it, is, you know, I can't say, so one, I'm, I'm not a violent person. I I was never getting into fistfights growing up and it was never about, you know, being, being a big, tough guy. I just got into wrestling and that led to jujitsu and you know, it was fun and I liked that energy about it. And yeah, the the the, the worlds of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and MMA were, were very much up next, close to each other um, uh, back in the day. And I agree, it, they have diverged a little bit and we can talk about various reasons for that, but mm-hmm. uh, so it wasn't a, a big leap for me to even consider you now fighting in a cage. Um, it was a leap and and I, I certainly there was anxiety around the situation. Uh, For me, a battle was always the mental side of things. I -hmm. could put in the time in the gym. I could be in shape. I could practice the techniques. It wasn't about that. It was the mental side that I always kind of struggled with. And, Mm -hmm. um, and I guess I saw going into a cage fight as kind of an an ultimate test to see if I could do it, Mm -hmm. uh, mentally as a medical student you know training to you know help people and 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 um help people get through their their worst days but also i could fight in a cage and you know put that stress and mental mental um, i guess test uh mm-hmm. if it were and um and so I, I i was practicing ways of getting my mind right for the first time uh in yeah. sports and and I discovered some, you know, things positive, mental imagery, and 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 things like that, and it and it, it was working for me. And um, the fact that I didn't have to deal with the the managers and the the promoters and that kind of stuff, my buddies in San Diego could take care of that. I could just get in shape and get my mind right. That was very helpful. Um, and then there's a little lull in medical school where I was on an easier clinical rotation where I wasn't up. All night and doing late hours and so I had a little time to put in get in shape and train and and it was at a the fight was in Yuma, Arizona at an Indian reservation as they were often oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah and for the it was interesting for the first time in my life I actually felt mentally prepared for for a, a, a stressful competition you know even the jiu-jitsu tournaments we would do I would. My mind was not right that first match. I was never up to my potential just because I was fighting my anxieties and all that kind of stuff. But that first MMA fight, I was mentally as good as I had ever been for for a big competition, and I was in the best shape I would ever been. And the fight went well. Um, you know, I awesome. traveled across the country, and the, I think the fight was forty five seconds or so, and it oh, went well man. for me. And
0: was and it a knockout or was it? It was. Uh... I
1: I had kind of gotten front mount, and the guy tapped oh. to punches. Oh. Um, and yeah, that was another thing. Oh, you know, wonderful. I've tapped people out. I've gotten arm bars. <laughs> I've choked people. I wanted to know what it was like to hit somebody, and mm-hmm. so and so I was doing that, and uh, yeah, and and so it went well, and that that rush of a win uh, in a cage in at that time the biggest mental test that I'd put myself through was. I mean, I don't know. I, I've, I've never done hard drugs. I've, I don't know what those are like, but I imagine that rush that I got at that moment was something that uh, people mm-hmm. feel. Um, it was an amazing feeling. And, and uh, yeah, I was, you know, in hindsight, yes, it was kind of silly for me to do all that kind of stuff, huh. but you yeah. know, based on just health and not messing up my hands and that kind of stuff, but I, I am so glad. That I, I did it and um, and have that experience and push myself because it also has helped me become a surgeon. Doing those things, mm-hmm. um, that discipline and putting things in perspective. You know, when I was having a bad day in medical school or in residency and I'm tired and I'm just not feeling it. Hey, I'm not getting choked out. I'm not getting punched in the face. I I can eat. You know, I'm not having to cut weight right now. I'm you know I so. Um, having put myself through that test, uh, definitely kind of turned the volume down on everything else and put it in perspective and has definitely helped me, uh, um, you know, get to where I'm, I am now and hopefully will help me continue getting better.
0: Oh, I'm sure it'll continue to propel you forward. Uh, there's nothing, um, it's almost like there's nothing you can't handle having been through that ultimate crucible you know, it's definitely to, confidence building. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. And you know, to win in a, a jiu-jitsu jujitsu competition is a high, but to do that extra um depth uh into your primal nature through MMA is like that next yes that's it, and and there is definitely something primal. Um yeah. you know
1: I Again, I'm not a violent person. I never was picking fights or anything like that. But man, there is something that I can't explain that is satisfied uh, a a primal thing that is in all of us, I think, that was satisfied by it.
0: Awesome. Well, congratulations on that. And I I think you probably did it with the perfect, you know, your timing was perfect. It it probably kept you balanced a little bit in medical school or, you know, during the rotations. Yeah,
1: the, the, the balance, you know, having to structure things like, all right, if I'm going to be in shape for this fight, I have to carve out time yeah. and I also have to pass my exams and be prepared and all that kind of stuff. And so it was like, all right, I I, I had a very strict schedule and it kept me regimented and um, it, it and then, you know, you can burn out for sure in medical school. And then I had but I had this outlet, this other thing that I could go to in this other world that had nothing to do with the other. And it it, it helped a lot, for sure.
0: Good. Good. Oh, man. Public service announcement to medical students. Do an MMA fight. (laughs) Test yourselves.
1: (laughs) Test yourself. Push yourself. Do other things. um, Do other
0: things. Yeah. So that's an incredible accomplishment. And for a lot of, I remember, like, back in the day, a lot of brown belts would test their technique in an MMA match. Like, Kenny Florian took some MMA matches and I got spotted by Dana White and that kind of set him up and his trajectory. Um, so at that time you were a brown belt, correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I had gotten my brown belt. It it was in medical school. I think that I had come back to San Diego and Matt Stansell with the permission of Roy Harris had had given me my brown belt. So yeah, I I had my brown belt at that time.
0: Uh, Talk about the journey coming back to San Diego and, um, and where you ended up and how you continued your training. So um, part of my goal
1: after being in upstate New York was to get back to San Diego. Uh, wow. It was a very high priority for me. Uh, it motivated me that much more to stay in the library that much longer, to get a little bit better score on the exams, and, and I was able to do it. I was able to, to get to UC San Diego orthopedic surgery residency, which is a pretty competitive one. You know, Everyone wants to be in San Diego, and orthopedic mm-hmm. surgery is a fairly competitive residency, and... So that, that was an accomplishment that I was, I was very happy to achieve. Um, and but then residency is a challenge. I mean, it's time consuming, um, long, long hours. Uh, there is certainly pressure. You know, now it's not just books. Now you're with patients and your decisions have ramifications. You, know, you can harm people if you're not if you're not on it. Um, so there are different stresses and long hours. And um, the first year of residency is an intern year where you're, you know, you're not putting too much responsibility, but you're still putting in the long hours and the hard work and you're learning, you know, you're finally applying what you've learned in books to now the real world. And uh, uh, there's been some very good shows kind of capturing those moments of being a, a junior, junior doctor kind of learning how the real world, world works and uh, all of us go through it. Um, and then at UC San Diego at the time, there was a research year after intern year and all of mm-hmm. a sudden I had more time. And, uh, and so then I started to get back into training. Um, uh, mutual friends, Manny Rodriguez got me you know, hooked up with another gym and I started my MMA training again and did another fight and made new friends and um, and that's kind of where I've been training since. It's now Victory, uh, in Point Loma, uh-huh. uh, Victory MMA and Jiu Jitsu. And, um, you know, I guess just back to San Diego, and there are so many good Jiu Jitsu schools. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the level of Jiu Jitsu is has been elevated to, I mean, it's pretty incredible, whether it's Atos, or Legion, or Victory, or Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so many good schools. And um, so very fortunate that there's so many good schools. And I was very fortunate to know a lot of those people who were in schools. And so it was kind of, if I had a moment in residency, there weren't many, but I would pop by a school and, and and get a little training in and be in the game just a little bit. But certainly for about four years, I really didn't do much. Uh, certainly yeah. not by the standards that I had set for myself. Um, is kind of jujitsu went on pause a little.
0: <clears throat> so, uh, Victory MMA. There are some pretty prestigious um, black belts that teach out of there. Yes. So we have we have uh, Mr. Jeff Glover. Yes. That was teaching the grappling for a while.
1: Yes, he was there, and I give him credit. He's the 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 mm-hmm. the leap from brown to black for me. Nice. Um, you know, guys like Dean Lister who also teach at Victory and and the other black belts. You know, they're amazing, they're very good, they're accomplished, but for some reason what Jeff was showing at that time just was really good for me to move from brown to black. And I think what Jeff was showing, one, you didn't need to be big and strong. Um, Jeff is definitely not big and strong. And being able to see outside the box. Uh, I was always good at, hey, this is how you do it. And I go, all right, this is how you do it. And I'm gonna drill it and I'll, I'll make it my move, you know? But if something was given to me in a slightly different way or slightly different perspective or a different angle or I didn't get the resistance that we had been practicing, I would struggle with it. And Jeff kind of opened my eyes to like, all those rules you've learned, throw it out. Like rules don't matter. You can Mm. give up your back. You can do this, you can do whatever. As long as you know what you're doing, you can be laying a trap. You can set a trap for somebody Cause you know how they're going to respond. You know, you've got the skill or you've got the techniques, you know what they're going to do if you give up a position. So all those rules you learned about this, it's out. It doesn't matter. And, uh, it, so that was really a big mind shift for me in, in realizing, yeah. Okay. You know, so I started seeing things differently and, and I think that was a big thing for me to be able to go from the, the brown to black belt. Um, you know, the, the actual techniques weren't necessarily different, but my application and the timing of those techniques became very different.
0: Oh, that's that's an incredible testament to his teaching ability and his approach to the art. Um, yes, I, I mentioned I'm I'm actually hosting him up in Alaska this weekend. Um, everyone's really excited to, you know, see his kind of jujitsu Mm-hmm. Up close and personal. Um, I did a little kind of documentary project on him called money on the mat. And when I was filming him, he was doing stuff that I had, I had never seen.
1: Oh yeah. No, the way uh, his brain works, it, it, it's different. Um, and you know, while I will never have the brain for jujitsu, like he has, he at least opened the door for me and uh you can learn so much from him and it's it's just being able to you know a technique that you might have seen a million times and you've learned it as a white belt now you're a black belt yeah i got it i got it i got it and then he shows it and you're like wait what was that show that again like how'd that happen where did you see that how'd that happen you know it's a it's a it's a really incredible thing that he can do uh and yeah so it's awesome you're having a a seminar up there with with him
0: uh yeah he's he's an incredible mind for jujitsu. that uh I have always admired that he never took the, the strength route. Yes. Ever. Yes. No, <laughs> yeah. definitely didn't. Uh, definitely did
1: not. And, you know, he's the kind of guy who, before a huge match, you know, a super fight and some big event, and he's in the backstaging area. He's not even drilling jujitsu. He's riding a skateboard, you know. <laughs> That's just the way, way his brain will go and it works for him, you know. It's amazing.
0: Mm. I kind of wish I could be like that, but
1: <laughs> I'm jealous. I'm very jealous. <laughs> I, I'm way too up in my head to to do that kind of stuff. But but at least I got to see it and and uh, change my approach because of it.
0: And then uh, Dean Lister, um, he's been at Victory for many years. Yep. And uh, talk talk about his approach to teaching and what you learned uh, under his instruction.
1: Well, yeah. So with Dean one of the original guys with footlocks and Mm -hmm. you know his understanding of footlocks and that game uh is immense um you know it's only now i think people are have kind of caught up to where he was 10 15 years ago with it Mm -hmm. um and it's not just footlocks like he'll be able to kind of just see a position and know exactly what's happening and and can I, i there's the analogy of, you know, in the beginning as a white belt, you see things black or white, you're in this position or you're not. And then as we, you learn more, you learn there's all these different steps that have to happen to get into those positions. He, he can see things, you know, where I might be fighting off the choke when someone's on my back trying to prevent the choke from happening. He's done something many steps before that to even keep the hooks from happening and he's in no danger. I mean, it's, it's just this next level of jujitsu that, that, um, few have his, his brain also works on a different plane similar to Jeff. Uh, but clearly his style is different than, than Jeff. There is definitely some strength, you know, when you compete with, with the big boys like he did right. ADCC and stuff like that. I mean, strength matters. And, uh, and so his style and, and that kind of stuff is is one of physicality, too. You know, it's not as, it's not the Jeff Glover smooth, be like water, set traps, you know, that kind of stuff. He, he definitely has, you know, you impose your will if you need to. Um, mm-hmm. And it works, clearly. Um, yeah. But, and then a lot of what he does and what he teaches is fundamentals. And he's another one of those guys, you know, he shows you the straight straight footlock. Okay, yeah, I've, I've seen a Dean. I've been seeing this for 10 years from you. I got it. But he'll show this little nuance, this little thing where he positions his wrists in a certain way, and you're like, wait, how come I didn't know that? Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's been pretty cool learning from Dean, and Dean and Jeff are, are at different ends of the jujitsu jitsu spectrum as far as how they went about it, but i got to learn from both which is amazing.
0: So what's the culture? I mean, you've been able to experience several different um, cultures in, um, in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu sphere, including multiple academies within San Diego. Sure. Very high-level environment. So what, uh, what's uh, the culture like at Victory MMA? Is it more you know progressive, creative, um, a strong team element to it? Yeah. or Just talk to me.
1: Yeah. So Victory's a gym. There's a lot of black belts and, mm. um, and then a lot of different teachers and those teachers all have kind of their own styles, which is pretty cool. And, you know, while some people kind of need a structure, like this week we're working on this type of guard pass and this week we're going to work on this. There's not that it's you know depending on who's teaching and which class you go to you might learn very different things and how to do things maybe it's the same move but you're learning it differently um so it's amazing that you can get all these different perspectives different body types different viewpoints on how a technique works um uh, but the the emphasis is not competition uh as much i mean there's definitely people who are really into competition you get kind of the a core competitor group who are gonna to get together and drill on their own and work on specific things that they want to work on on their own and it's a huge gym and there's lots of high-level guys and those that can happen and then there's definitely the the white belts who are just kind of there to have fun and oh their kids started taking a class so no they're gonna do a class and they like it there too and um and then there's in between, and then there's of course the guys who are doing MMA, and they're all that kind of stuff. So I would say Victory is a very good gym for just about anybody, but there are better schools in San Diego to become a high level competitor, for example. Mm-hmm. You know whether it's Autos with Galvao, you know those mm-hmm. guys are, you know you see the the, the oh, high level yeah. competitions, <laughs> and you know they're they're winning ADCC, you know. And, yeah. But it's a different emphasis, different way of approaching it. And, um, but you know, to each their own. And it's the great thing about San Diego is you can kind of find the school that works best for you. Yeah,
0: you know, indeed. Did you watch any of the ADCC or catch any of the highlights from this last weekend? I was catching some of the highlights. I was catching some yeah. highlights. Yeah, yeah. I you know. was, I was glued to my my um, casting it to my TV and glued to it. It's, it was mesmerizing.
1: The, the level that these guys are, have gotten to, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, I've been in the game for a long time, and there's a, there's a lot that I think I understand. And then you see how they're doing things, and you're like, whoa, wow. Mm. And then there's, a, then there's the athletes. You know, the, the athleticism is another level. And then the, oh, the yeah. skills, the, the wrestling skill level. You know, for a while, jiu-jitsu guys were not good wrestlers. They, mm-hmm. they, they weren't any good at it. Mm-hmm. Now you've got these guys who are world-class jiu-jitsu guys, but they would hold their own with any D1 wrestler easily. Um, so that, that's been an interesting progression and with footlocks and, and that game, and it's amazing to watch. And then you've got this next generation, the Ruotolo brothers. Man.
0: Oh, my God.
1: They're so young, and they're so good. And to see where they're going to be 10 years from now,
0: it's just going to be insane. Absolutely. I, I feel like they're still growing into they're man bodies yeah. and they have a certain level of, uh, dynamic intuition that a lot of people can be programmed to do specific things and to do it with, you know, power and accuracy. But those guys uh, can go off script. Oh yeah. Anytime and ride your, you know, your push, the momentum you generate and, and kind of play off the end of your technique. I, it's, Really beautiful to watch, and it looks more like playing with kind of a deadly twist <laughs> yes uh, in a way
1: yeah and yeah there there was for a while there's you know combat sports was this guys smashing into each other, and it was a test of wills and strength and that kind of stuff, but there's this level of 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 skill and technique and you know, you with your aikido background, kind of this this push pull, like you know, just using people's momentum and and transitions and timing and there's a whole other level to it.
0: You know, one thing I noticed uh, when I I saw like ADCC in two thousand and seven back in New Jersey, and one thing that really stuck out to me was the guys would not tap. <laughs> they <laughs> they would yes. they would not tap any toehold, uh, it would pop, maybe they would tap. And so many people were limping off the mats and it, it was a real signal to me to like, Oh man, you should, you know, unless you're willing to pay that price, you know, maybe you shouldn't even, you know, th- yeah, it just, it, it makes you reevaluate competition because the guys that are really hungry, they are willing to, um, put their bodies in yes. you know, harm's way.
1: Yes. Uh, it, it, yes. <laughs> and, you know, way back in the day, there was just a grind, that much more of a, a grind. You're going to fight through the crossface. You're going to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And But the high-level competition, you have to have this willingness to fight through things, um, to get out of, of submissions. But I can't say that's for everyone. <laughs> um, right. And... Uh, for longevity, you know, I'm hoping to be doing this when I'm 80 and Mm -hmm. if I'm fighting through arm bars and heel hooks and things like that now, my, my body won't hold up that long. And I think you see a lot of those guys who might've competed back in 2007, you see them today, their bodies Mm -hmm. aren't, aren't, aren't where I'm sure they would like it to be. So I definitely think there is, I don't want to use the word caution or. Uh, carefulness but there's a a, a side to it a mentality to to training that I think a lot of people would benefit by not not putting themselves in situations where they're gonna get hurt Um, Hmm. and uh, so I've got a thing where you know tap early tap often it's practice you're there to learn and sure you know you don't want to tap to something that's not really gonna work you want to give your partner a chance to really see if the technique is working but at the same time, recognizing if you're in trouble, no one cares at whatever gym you're at. If you tapped out to an arm bar, you know, it's, you know, live to fight another day. You learned a lesson from getting tapped out and now you have got something to work on. And then in competition, you're gonna be that much better.
0: Man, I could not agree with that any more strongly. Uh many people feel like everyone's watching them in the gym when in fact no one is watching them. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> everyone's involved in their own, you know, drama that's happening on the mat right now. And if someone's on the sidelines, maybe they're scanning, they probably have an uneducated eye. They have no idea and they'll, they'll never remember. You'll remember, but they'll never remember. And I think just the, the idea that no one is really watching, um, could help save a, a couple of people from.
1: Oh, definitely. And and, and that carries over into everything, not just jujitsu. I mean, everyone is their own worst critic for sure. And you think everyone's watching you and it's, it's, it's not the case. And, you know, unfortunately as, as we get better at jujitsu, our egos also get smaller and it's easier for us to like, you know, give up things perhaps and stuff like that. But in the beginning, man, I get it. Your ego is big. You think everyone's watching you and you get tapped out by a girl and it's the end of the world and you're horrible and everyone's going to remember this 10 years from now. That's not how it goes. And, And really what matters is how you're performing at that moment, but, but how you progress and evolve and change and get better. Cause you know, there's a lot of dudes who I've seen who were no good and then they put their time in, they didn't get hurt. And five years later, they're beasts. And they've turned Mm -hmm. it around and that's what people now recognize, you know?
0: Oh man, that is such a great, that's a great lesson for people. You know, if, if you stave off the injuries now, tap early, tap often, uh, you'll have a chance to be the fighter that you want to be. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah
1: uh cannot agree cannot agree more and yes I, I had to learn the lesson the hard way sometimes uh mm-hmm. but at the same time i've been able to avoid catastrophic injury some luck perhaps too but at the same time man i i gotta work tomorrow you know good job yeah you got the heel hook good job mm-hmm. you know next time you won't get it but you got <laughs> it this time you tap you got me
0: oh i think that's a perfect segue um you know, you have a great YouTube channel, cut to the bone. Thank you. Uh, where you Thank you. Where you describe, um, I mean, you're giving free medical advice and an informed opinion on what's happening to high-level fighters with their injuries, um, injuries that happened in the UFC, injuries that happened in submission mm-hmm. grappling. Um, what can we start at the bottom of the body? Let's start at okay. the. Let's start at the the ankle. Sure. And. And talk about like the heel hook and the ramifications of maybe not tapping.
1: Sure. So the heel hook, uh, certainly is popular in the Nogi game. In my opinion, everyone should be aware of it. You know, some schools still don't teach them or they have like some arbitrary cutoff of when they start teaching them. I think learning a respect for them early on in the game is valuable and knowing to tap early to them is a good thing. Uh, So that being said the the heel hook, it's really an attack on the knee. And, and that's just some of the biomechanics, even though you're kind of turning through the heel, uh, the heel joint itself is actually pretty stable. Whereas the knee joint is this well, it's not a great joint for the things that we put it through for jiu-jitsu where it's kind of this flat tabletop with a round ball on top and you've got soft tissues holding it there and, and then the heel hook twisting through the heel that those forces go up through the knee and now you're stressing those soft tissues and, and uh, ligaments are the main things that we worry about in the, with the heel hook and they'll start tearing and if you start twisting things enough, the, the ACL is often one that goes. And if the ACL goes and you still want to be in sports, you're, you're probably looking at surgery and a long rehab.
0: People have, you did a video with, I believe it was Darren Till, fought oh. with yep. essentially no ACL or it had been fully torn. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about the ramifications. I mean, that is possible to do, but. Sure.
1: Uh, There are athletes out there, uh, whatever the sport may be, where they find out they don't have an ACL with their testing, or they tough it out, or something happens. But there are stories of athletes, pretty high level, competing without ACLs. Sometimes they can get by without it. The the job of the ACL, it's really to, to keep the tibia, the shin bone, from shifting forward in relation to the femur, the big leg bone. And when you're cutting, twisting, changing directions, those, that shifting is happening all the time. If you don't have an ACL, there's going to be a shift. And if there's instability off, the knee is going to give out. And some people can work around that, but it's hard. It's not easy. And when Darren Till, you know, and after he fights and the fight didn't go his way later, it comes out that in training camp, he tore his ACL, but, He wanted to fulfill his obligations to put the fight together, and he did it. And he was clearly limited. And, um, uh, you know, there are some people, you know, as you get older, maybe you don't need an ACL. But if you're young, you're active, you want to compete, chances are you probably need
0: it. And he would need surgery if it's a full tear. Um, It's not going to spontaneously reconnect, will it?
1: A fully torn ACL just the way our bodies are set up, the the way the nature of the ACL ligament is, it's not one that will heal on its own if it's completely torn. And Mm -hmm. as of right now, we haven't figured a way to get that particular ligament to repair itself. If you bring the ends together, there's a lot of ligaments where you can kind of suture the ends together and it'll eventually heal the the ACL doesn't quite work that way. um, for, for a few reasons, and so the, the, the solution for decades now has been to create a new ligament. Usually by taking tissues from your own body, um, whether it's the hamstring or the patellar tendon, autograft is the fancy name for it, and moving it around and turning that into to the ligament inside your knee and having that become the ACL. But it takes time and recovery and, and uh, it's not perfect. Um, yeah, once, but you, you, yeah, go for it.
0: I mean, could you make, I'm thinking specifically of G- GSP, when he, um, he had a really bad, I think it was an ACL tear, and he took a long time off. Um, it, it, can it be 100%, 95% of what it was before, using an autograft?
1: So after surgery, to reconstruct the ligament, um, orthopedic surgeons have gotten very good. At an ACL reconstruction, um, you know what used to be fairly experimental in the 70s and 80s is now routine. And as residents in our training, we get to be pretty pretty competent with an ACL, understanding how how to reconstruct an ACL. And the goal at this point, what used to be a career-ending injury, now our goal is to get people back doing exactly what they were doing before. Mm. Um, now we always will tell the athlete, you're going to know things are a little different, but the goal is to get back doing everything you were doing before at a high level. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and for the most part, the vast, vast majority of athletes can, um, it takes time and rehab and getting comfortable with the knee again, the, the mental process of healing is, is a big one. Um, you know, for a certain amount of time, your knee doesn't feel right. So you're favoring it. And then. You get the surgery, and then you're told you can't do these certain things, and so you really don't do those things. And then all of a sudden, the doctor goes, hey, go for it. (laughs) And it it takes a while to kind of get used to mentally using the leg the way you were using it before. And that, that Mm. I think, for the high-end athletes, they can get their muscles strong again. They can get conditioned again. But the mental side of getting used to cutting or trusting that the leg won't give way is, Mm. is, is a big one.
0: So the knee is, you know, obviously a major surgery, a major point, um, for dynamic combat athletes to, to injure. Um, what about the, the ankle and toe holds? What's, what's going on with that submission?
1: Sure. So toe holds mainly, you're kind of bringing the ankle down and in, and the way the ankle joint is structured, it's kind of bone that makes a, a three parts of a square in a way, or it's really a rectangle in a way. But mm-hmm. so the, the forces can't go up or to the sides really, but they can go down. And when you bring the forces down and it tends to go in a little bit with that toehold, the ligaments, the soft tissues that would support the joint otherwise start becoming stressed. you have got these ligaments on the, the, the outside um, top part of the foot and ankle that will rupture if the toe hold is forced far enough. Um, fortunately those ligaments for the most part are ones that can heal without surgery. Mm -hmm. That being said, (laughs) sometimes, sometimes, especially if it's a repeated injury, um, the ankle can become unstable and, and it can be rolled easier. And then in those cases, Mm -hmm. sometimes surgical reconstruction is necessary, but but for the most part, at least in my world of jiu-jitsu, I, I haven't seen anyone because of toe holds, repeated toe holds, become or put themselves in a situation where they needed the surgery.
0: Okay, let's, let's work our way up the body just a little bit now. Uh, anything with the hips or, or low back okay. that you'd like to touch on? Sure. So I mean, well, I'm well, sure briefly,
1: we'll up. talk about the hips. Um, okay. You know, the, the hips are a, a very stable joint. Um, you know, when we think about the ball and socket, uh, there's a lot of bone supporting that joint and the ligaments that are there are super strong, super thick. Mm. So an injury like a hip dislocation or things like that are extremely rare. Um, the forces that you would have to put through the leg in a certain hold to stress the hip joint are probably going to cause something else to go first. Um, so it's, it's pretty rare to have a catastrophic hip injury from jujitsu. That being said, there can certainly be some wear and tear the guard position, you know, that in itself with your hips brought out to the sides and being pushed around and that kind of stuff. Certainly you can injure hips. Um, Mm -hmm. and there can be other injuries that go on, but it's, it's really not as common as, as you see in, 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 in other areas of the body in that area is the groin. Uh Um, and I think almost anybody and everybody who's been in any type of sport has dealt with a groin injury. Yeah. And there can be various different. There's lots of muscles that are in the groin that uh, work to get your leg to or your legs to come together. And when you're playing with the guard, those are going to be stressed. And so groin pulls, groin strains uh, happen, and they are a nuisance and they take forever to get better, especially if you're going to keep training. Um, so that, that's definitely something that, that comes up.
0: Um, what's the typical recovery timeframe? I do remember, I I think I was a purple belt and I, I, I pulled my groin somehow. And I mean, I was on the sidelines for a long time. You, yeah, we we went to that grapplers qu- quest in, in Vegas, and I was just like rooting. I was reading you on. You did great in that tournament. Um, I you know, so. I mean, but it, it was like there was nothing to. I, I just couldn't uh, accelerate that healing at all. What's yeah. a typical time frame?
1: So, you know, it, it's obviously gonna be different for everyone, and depending on how severe the injury is. I mean, some people have groin pulls that are so severe where it actually pulls the tendon off of bone um you know what grade three uh, uh strains and those will obviously take a little longer than than a little pull and a big part of healing from these injuries is rest and that's something that i think a lot of us aren't great at especially right. if we want to keep doing jujitsu and it's part of our lives and we're going to work around it yeah. so that's going to slow the healing a little bit in general if you are able to go through the progression of rest, once you don't have pain, then you start working on range of motion. Once you've got your range of motion without pain, then you start doing strengthening. And once you've got your strength, then you go back to full activities. If anyone ever did that, it'd probably be three months, perhaps longer, but no one, no one actually does it that way. Right. And, uh, so it could be six months. I've had a growing strain there. I noticed it for eight, nine months. Um, they're, they're nuisance. Mm. And it's just, you know, what we think of is the groin where we pinch our legs together. If you're going to stand on one leg, you're firing those muscles. Uh, mm. so essentially if you're doing anything athletic, you're, or walking, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, running, uh, standing on one leg, you are making those muscles work. And, and so it's really hard to rest them. And, uh, and that's why you notice it for a long time and why it takes a long to recover.
0: Very succinct, and that's a I wouldn't say excruciating, but it's like excruciating on your patience to you know, it, especially it when you're when you're you rely on jujitsu for mood regulation, you know.
1: And we, we haven't talked a lot about it, but yes, a lot of people in the jiu-jitsu world, whatever their level is, they're going there as much for the physica, physical work as it is for mental, you know, feeling better. Uh, and there's lots of reasons behind that. Uh, but yeah, the mental side is, is so important. And I guess the perspective I can bring as North Peak Surgeon who also trains is I'm never going to just tell people, Oh, just don't do it. Stop doing it. Mm. Cause it wouldn't be an option for me. And I know it's an option, not an option for many of the guys who are trained to not do it. And yeah. so we often figure out a plan to, modify things change things a little bit so you can kind of let it rest but you can still be in the game and get that mental mental health too
0: now something near and dear to my heart the low back Mm -hmm. um you know coming up being a guard player fighting heavier guys it was i've strained my low back i mean it's been a while since i've really you know uh really tweaked it but still there's so much that can be that can go on in that, oh, yeah. in that little area. Could you, could yes. you touch on that? So,
1: so the back, uh, generally speaking, yes, incredibly complicated. Um, you know, within the world of orthopedic surgery, there's a, another specialty just to specialize on the spine, extra training and that much more just because it's a, it's a, it's a completely separate entity often compared to a knee or a hip or, you know, uh, an ankle, the spine is its own thing. And you know the spine supports us it keeps us upright and as bipedal animals that walk our spine has to be in a certain way to do those simple functions its base its its structure is entirely built on us being upright and doing things and so when it's not working right and we can't be upright that's disabling um there are all these little vertebrae they're kind of stacked up these little bones that are stacked up on each other but those vertebrae articulate with the vertebrae above and below so there's all these little joints and then there's all these ligaments that attach in all those different places and then there's muscles that control the movement and then there's we'll say three major sections of the spine that all kind of have different functions the lumbar spine really does a lot of kind of flexion and extension it's very much influenced by our abdominal pressures. You know, you've probably known someone who's thrown their back out because they sneezed too hard. You know, those kind of mm. things. The thoracic spine, a little bit higher up, kind of where our rib cage is, is isn't expected to move a lot. And part of that is because the rib cage is something that keeps it stable. But partly also because we have lots of internal organs that can't be smooshed or mashed around. So we we need mm. that part to be very stable. And then going up higher, we got the neck, the, the cervical spine, which moves a ton in all kinds of different directions. And that's because we need to move our head around. We see things. We have to be able to swivel our head around and and, and orient ourselves. And, and so our neck function is obviously very important for that. But in the world of combat sports, it's a target for attack often. Um, and it can be cranked on and it's it's levered in different directions as the head is moved around. And so the spine is subjected to incredible forces, uh, in, in everything. And, and jujitsu is no different. Combat sports is no different. Um, with the lower back, you know, when we're, when we're lifting things, the lower back is, is what's getting most of the stress. Mm -hmm. And, um, some of those forces can be extremely high. If you're going to lift something, with bad form with your back curled up and your knees straight and your arms really far in front of you and you're going to explode up into that the forces that your lower back can see can be 10 times your body weight um and so having good form (laughs) is really important um but then even if you're not lifting things you're on your back you're playing guard you're getting inverted you're getting smashed you're getting twisted um yeah the the forces that the spine sees can be pretty high and, and without good spine health um, and luck and conditioning and all the things that go along with it, your, your back can suffer. And uh, <laughs> I did a video on the twister and um, I mean, a lot of things can go wrong with the twister in itself, but mm. um, yeah, uh, I guess I, I, to, to just put a cap on the, the talk in the lumbar spine or, or just the back in general, um, conditioning and good form. Are, are gonna be really important to, to save your back. Um, you see so many bad videos, and even the highest level CrossFit people in those CrossFit competitions, mm-hmm. who are taking themselves to failure with really heavy weights, have horrible form. And you can't do that for very long. When you're young and healthy, and you can bounce back from injury pretty fast, sure. But then after your twenties, it's just not gonna work. And so having good form, Starting with having your knees bent when you're lifting things and your back upright, your head in the right position. That's one place to start. Having conditioning within your abdomen, your core. What they talk about the core, the abdomen. That also is your groin muscles, your hip muscles are also all part of stabilizing your pelvis and lower back health. And um, and then to even go further, to have to have a, a you know your pelvis. In the right position and all those muscles strong. You also need good hips, and to have good hips, you also have to have good knees. And if you have, you know, mm. to have good knees, you have to have good ankles. All of them are linked. And um, so, putting yourself through safe range of motion, keeping everything strong and balanced, is crucial for injury prevention.
0: Do you advocate for yoga or um, any kind of mobility systems? Uh, what, what's your what's your routine to keep sure. things? So and strong. I, I think
1: a lot of those, I mean, there's more and more and there's some really cool stuff out there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, yoga being the oldest and most established way of, of going through mobility, I think has s- some huge benefits um, for warmups and getting your body ready to be stressed. I'm more of a fan of going through some dynamic exercises by that mean. It's not the, You know reach down touch your toes and hold it that Mm -hmm. that's kind of more of a passive stretch i'm talking about going through and doing exercises whether it's going through a deep lunge and or side stride or you're moving through things you're going through a full range of motion but the muscles are moving warming up um and i think the the evidence behind that is showing that dynamic warming up dynamic stretches and that kind of stuff are much better to warm up with than the passive stuff that you might see with most of the yoga stuff but after working out, when it's time to cool down and you want to improve the range of motion and flexibility, and flexibility is definitely important in jiu-jitsu, I think yoga has a huge part in it.
0: Yeah, I uh, personally got into doing Ashtanga yoga when I was about 35, and it, it struck me as being very serious, kind of similar to a martial art, and sure. and very hard, like <laughs> really humbling. <laughs> yes.
1: And, and it's nothing like, you know, going to one of those classes and seeing, you know, this like 65 year old lady just killing it and you can't get through half of it. You're like, geez, this is bad. I thought I was a fighter.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> it definitely, definitely. It gives you a different perspective. Sometimes when I feel, you know, particularly if you're um, any kind of fitness professional, you just are in this physical culture where everyone's in good shape all the time. And that becomes kind of the, the norm, maybe, maybe in jujitsu, you know, it's just like, you know, strong, maybe slightly kyphotic, just a little Mm. hunched over and, and really lean, super good grip. And but you know, can you put your hands behind your back in prayer position? No way. No. And you see people and and it reminds you that that's possible. (laughs) Some people can do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes, that that mobility and, and you you know, you talked about that kind of kyphotic bent over position that a lot of grapplers get and and it's the right position to be in when you're grappling, you know, you don't want people to get under hooks, you don't want people to, to be able to displace you and get you stretched out. So, yeah, guys start hunching over and bending over and that kind of stuff. But it, it, it definitely sets you up for some injuries. And that shouldn't be your baseline posture, which is mm. what it is for many of the guys who've been doing it for a long time and not balancing themselves out with other things. And because we're on it, I, I, it also is bad for shoulder health. Um, mm. that, that bent over posture where the scapula kind of move forward and down, kind of you imagine if you went through a throw and you're following through. Mm -hmm. where your scapula is going forward your shoulder blades going forward that's the position where a lot of people hang out and whether it's jiu-jitsu guys who don't want the underhooks or it's guys who do bench press all of the time and that's Mm -hmm. kind of the tightness of the muscles that go forward or they're just not balancing and getting the back muscles strong but that position of the the scapula going forward makes the space for the rotator cuff uh much smaller and when you're trying to go through shoulder range of motion, you get impingement issues where the bones of the shoulder start pinching on the, the tendons and muscles that need to move the shoulder and sets you up for some shoulder issues. So getting the shoulders down and back, that's kind of been become my mantra recently mm. for shoulder health uh, because a lot of the guys in the Jiu-Jitsu gym need to work on it. I needed to work on it. I still need to work on it. But shoulders down and back it has helped my shoulders a lot.
0: Okay. Well, let's, let's top that off with the elbow. Mm-hmm. Uh, often a common target. I've I happened to love the arm lock and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, <laughs> there are some, you know, I've seen some guys, particularly in the last couple of years, just gut it out, you know, Craig Jones versus uh, Gordon Ryan. I mean, he was in mm-hmm. a deep arm lock and he just was not going to tap. Um, yep. What are the ramifications? What actually happens in the joint?
1: Yeah. So, so with the arm bar, uh, the elbow joint, you know, you can kind of think of it as a a hinge joint where it kind of opens and closes. And that's part of it though. A lot of the elbow joint is also involved in what we call supination and pronation, bringing your forearm with your palm, either facing up or your palm facing down. And so there's, there's clearly some, uh, complicated, uh, biomechanics of the elbow joint and, Decent bone support the bones kind of hold the joint fairly well The the armbar where you're hyper extending the elbow uh, Is taking the elbow joint into the soft tissues. There's no bone supporting that type of force the hyperextension force And what jujitsu guys realized, you know, the thumb up You you talk about the, you know, having the thumb up, the way that lines up the forearm bones actually creates tension within the joints. Um, particularly one that supinates and pronates the forearm. And as you stress it, hyperextending the elbow, you dislocate the bones. Um, you kind of lever lever them up and out. And all of a sudden that hinge joint has come out and you see it. Um, Maybe it pops back in on some of those uh, uh, near near dislocations. Uh, whether it was Craig Jones there, I think Tony Ferguson and Charles Oliveira, I think it was in the UFC, mm. had one where it's like mm-hmm. you see the elbow kind of going really yeah. back. Oh, um, yes, uh, there's there was a recent elbow dislocation in the UFC, maybe about a year ago, where the elbow was just flopping around in the fight uh, because the elbow just when it hyperextends to a point, it will dislocate. And then anytime you're dislocating a joint, you have torn ligaments and, um, and the joint needs to be popped back in really quickly or it creates some issues. So, um, and then the one interesting thing about the elbow compared to other joints is it likes to get stiff. And so anytime you've had kind of a major injury, elbow dislocation or a fracture or things like that, um, the elbow will get stiff. And that can be kind of the battle that people are fighting three months, five months down the road where it's just they can't get their elbow totally straight or they can't bend it all the way up. Um, so,
0: Is it possible yeah. to work through that with, <clears throat> excuse me, like a little physical, I mean, like forcing the range of motion a little bit, like pressing it,
1: helping yes. it? Physical therapy is often something that I utilize uh, on my end. You know, even if it's something that doesn't require surgery, physical therapy uh, is going to put people through uh, some motion and push them. Uh, and there's a window of time, you know, if you wait too Mm -hmm. long to try to work on that motion, you're never going to get it back. And, uh, so working on the range of motion within a point, you know, if you go too early and you re dislocate the elbow, that's a problem too. So you got to find a balance with all of it. Um, um, yeah, the the arm bar (laughs) is (laughs) interesting.
0: And jiu is such a powerful way of really understanding what your body's capable of. Uh, both it's, you know, that we're not all supermen, that we're mortal men with finite mm-hmm. ranges of motion. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been a really powerful, you know, discipline for, for me to study and, and for you. And for you to have that expertise in both worlds, um, I think is a really great gift to the community.
1: Oh yeah, I mean I, certainly I can I can come at it with a, a different perspective, um, but a lot a lot of the jujitsu guys kind of intuitively know like oh yeah this is going to make the submission stronger you know you're going for the americana and you know oh you want to get that arm down the elbow closer to their side and yeah I now know the ligaments that are being stretched that much more when you do that but the jujitsu guys figure it out and they become very in tune with their own bodies they understand how the body works and for the most part they gain an appreciation of how the body works, but uh, hopefully they haven't beat their bodies up too much before they get to that point. And um,
0: yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a a really healthy, balanced approach. Uh, There was some interview with Malcolm Gladwell and he's talked about, you know, early peak performance, like sharpening your blade as much as you can in your early days versus longevity. And What's your what is your focus uh, now with your jiu-jitsu practice?
1: Yeah, um, well, you alluded to balance.
0: That's been a big thing for me.
1: Um, I've you know, whether it's combat sports or medicine, it's very easy to burn out in either uh, or push yourself, whether it's mentally or physically to a point where you may not want to do it anymore. And mm. by having a balance Uh, I've been able to kind of bounce between the two and, and stay relatively healthy mentally and physically doing it. Um, my my goals for jujitsu now, definitely different than when I was in my twenties wanting to compete and win and that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm not, I'm not looking to compete right now. Maybe, maybe when my daughter's, uh, older and, and doesn't want anything to do with me, maybe I'll have more time and I'll compete Uh at, you know, some high master's level and that kind of stuff. And, You know, so competition's not completely out, but, but right now competition's not, not a goal, but getting in the gym, moving around, exploring the techniques, moving my body, staying in shape, the camaraderie of seeing my friends, you know, jujitsu does all of these things. And, and that is definitely going to be part of my life for, for the foreseeable future. Again, I hope I'm still doing this when I'm 80. And so if someone gets a submission, I tap, you know, hmm. I'm not going to fight through it. And, you know, I guess I have the benefit of having been in the game for a while. And I, I know if I'm trapped, you know, yeah. I know if I'm stuck and, and, you know, maybe beginners may not have that yet. Um, but at the same time, you know, maybe I can fight through that or slip out of it or, but you know what, it's okay. I I got to work tomorrow. I got, I want to go to the park with my daughter later. I got other things going on in life and, so I'm still getting the exercise. I'm still learning techniques. I'm still pushing myself. You know, I'm, I'm going to go with other black belts and we're going to roll hard. Yeah. Um, and the learning never stops. But at the same time, uh, I, it's, it's a balance. It's a counterbalance to, to the rest of my life and keeps me healthy and happy.
0: Uh, Luke, is there anyone you'd like to, to thank or um, any place you'd like to direct people to find out more about you and what you're doing?
1: Well, you know, thank you to all of my instructors over the years, the Garth Taylors, the Claudio Francis, the Roy Harris's, you know, all the people who took me in when I was a medical student, just trying to show up and get a little mat time in the Dean Listers, the Jocko Willings, the Jeff Glovers, all those guys who've had an influence on my life and have kept me in the game. Uh, I got to thank them. and and then, of course, my mentors in medicine, you know, yeah, standing on the shoulders of giants. I I I um, that's everything um, you, know, you hope to advance things, whatever it is, whether it's medicine or jujitsu, it make it a little bit better for the next generation that comes through. And I've been very fortunate to to be around a lot of people, mentors in various fields who have who have made it uh, um, a good experience for me. And I hope to be able to do the same for others as they come up. Um, and hopefully people will want to check out my youtube channel cut to the bone um i've got an instagram thing that i'm okay at doing stuff on the dr lucius yeah Mm -hmm. lucius is the real name but luke is what i've always gone by Um, and uh, hopefully there's some stuff out there that people will learn and and enjoy seeing and be able to go to jujitsu class and have a new understanding on things
0: I, I highly recommend everyone subscribe to your YouTube channel. Follow him on the gram. Dr. Lucius Pomerantz, I appreciate your time today. It's well, good to catch
1: up. It's been awesome seeing you. Uh, it's been too long. Um, yeah,
0: awesome.